And in Hebrews 13 and verse number five, this will be the message to conclude that topic of biblical stewardship, biblical finance. It is an amazing thing that God teaches us that we can be content. This is the secret ingredient that everybody is really looking for in life. Contentment. What is contentment? Are you content? Would you say you live a life of contentment? Sometimes it's easy to think, well, if I'm content, that means I'm lazy. I'm just content to lay on the sofa all day. I don't work. I don't really care. Whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. Is that what it means to be content? Other people, they think, I'm content. And yet, with their lifestyle, they have every single hour and every single minute planned for to squeeze the last drop out of life. And though they might say they're content, their spirit is one of agitation and frustration. And if anything happens a little bit, not according to schedule, not according to plan, oh my, they just, they lose their mind. They get so frustrated. Are we content? What does it mean to be content? Let's look at verse five, Hebrews 13 and verse five. Let your conversation, now in the King James, the conversation, that word does not mean speaking back and forth to one another. It means lifestyle. That word would be lifestyle. Okay, that's what that means. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Content. Because of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless now. As your word is being preached, we are coming together for this moment. We want to hear your word. I pray that you would protect us from distractions. Allow your word to come and take root in our heart. We're afraid to live lives of contentment. The message of the world is the complete opposite. God, by your grace, I pray you would teach us to live lives of contentment and not covetousness. We thank you for your goodness and kindness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Two things we can see here in verse number five. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For you have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We see covetousness on one side and we see contentment on the other side. These are at a tug of war in our life. We rarely will see an advertisement from a company that says, be content. 
with such things as you have? Of course not. Their life, their, their message is the opposite. You won't be happy until you have this, until you taste this or go here or do that or experience this. Or you've got to know what it feels like to drive this car. Right? And then, of course, or the motorcycle. Right? I actually saw a guy on a motorcycle yesterday, and I'm like, bro, it is chilly outside. Good for you. (laughs) We will speak briefly of Christ because it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It gives us the reason. It gives us the foundation of of contentment. We cannot truly be content if we do not have Christ. Christ is the foundation for contentment. We'll look at Christ and we'll briefly talk about him. And it's very interesting that when we are looking at some of these passages that when we're talking about contentment, it dovetails into the next topic we'll be covering, which is false prophets and how false prophets can take that desire of discontentment and covetousness and that can be their motivation to teach false things. And so it's really important for us to realize who is Christ? Do I have him? And because I have him, if we can reply in the affirmative, I can be content and I will be less vulnerable to being taken advantage of By the way, I'm using this white stuff today. Remember, my iPad is in Buffalo, New York. So this morning, it's like whenever you need the printer to work, it just doesn't. Right? My my toner, my ink was low. And I went out this morning to start my car because it's cold and let it warm up a minute. And on 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 the door stoop covered in snow was the ink that we had ordered from Amazon. Praise the Lord. So I ran upstairs, popped in the ink cartridges, print, 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 print. And the thing just looks at me with a blank stare. You know how printers are. Aren't they the most frustrating things in the world? You can't be violent with them because then you'll break it, right? You just have to wait. So anyway, praise the Lord, it finally printed. The power of riches and wealth. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, we'll read a few verses here. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth the abundance of increase. This is also vanity. It's interesting in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse number 10, it uses the word of love riches. It's not a sin to have riches. It's a sin for riches to have you, for your love to be with the riches and for the riches and you devote everything to that instead of giving that same heart and that same uh, love and that same devotion first to God. The Bible says in Mark 4 in verse number 19, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust or the desire of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. In this parable, Jesus compares... This, this unsatisfied desire for riches, this covetousness to be like a weed that goes and chokes out God's truth. We limit our growth as Christians. 
We limit our spiritual maturity when we choose the desire for things over allowing God's word to grow in our life. Allowing our choices to fall in, this is what God is teaching me and this is what I want. Jesus says in Luke 18, 24, and when Jesus saw that, he was speaking to a rich man in this passage. He says these words, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Unfortunately, there are many people in this city, many people in this world, they have the choice to discover God and have a relationship through Jesus Christ, but that relationship is not free. It doesn't cost us money as in we have to put money in the offering plate in order to go to heaven. That's certainly not true in any case whatsoever. The Bible says very clearly in 1 Peter, if you look at this verse with me, First Peter 1 and verse number 18. First Peter 1 and verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We don't have a relationship with God because we choose to give money to a church or choose to give money to God or choose to give money through a charitable institution or choose to be generous with our money. That does not purchase any kind of standing with God. It doesn't purchase any kind of favor with God for salvation's sake. We must come before God in faith empty, saying, I have nothing to offer you. What Jesus did for me on the cross, that is what pays for my redemption. There is no amount of money that can purchase our salvation. We can see in another verse up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, speaking of Jesus, for he, God, hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he died for our sin. He purchased our redemption with the sacrifice of himself on the cross. We can look once again at the verses that we mentioned, 1 John 4, and let's look at these verses. 1 John Four. This is in the back of your Bible. So there's John, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you've got all the New Testament. So if you go to the very back of your Bible, you'll find 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So they're all kind of just coupled right there in the back. Some of you are familiar with this and some of you are, are new to that. And that's fine. I, I think it's amazing that we have both groups of people in our church. That's the sign of a healthy church, by the way is to have people that are familiar with what you're saying and some people where it's like, oh, I've never heard that before. Praise the Lord for that. First John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know we the spirit of God. 
every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How can I live a life of contentment? Because I have Christ. Christ is everything to the believer. It's the foundation of all of our hope. All of our fears can be dispelled when we realize that we have Christ. Christ must be chosen by faith. Listen, we have to believe in the historical person of Jesus Christ, meaning he's not just a religious figure that is mythical and he never actually walked the earth. We do have to believe that he actually was here. The Bible clearly says in verse number two, um, hereby know we the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. We have to believe that he was actually here. We believe in the actual literal death of Jesus Christ. We believe in the actual literal resurrection, bodily resurrection of Christ. We can believe that Jesus is a good person. We can believe that Jesus was an amazing teacher. We can believe that Jesus was an amazing example. Some people try to stack him up against other people who uh, have uh, followed a path of nonviolence, such as Gandhi and, and people like that. That certainly, Jesus is not in the same category as someone like Gandhi. Gandhi may have done amazing things for his nation using the path of nonviolence, but Jesus Christ walked to the cross on purpose fully having the power to turn away from that, but he was not just a human being walking to the cross. He was Emmanuel. He was God in the flesh dying for our sins. What does that mean? That means that all we know what it's like for someone to sin against us. The relationship is ruptured. It can be something as simple as somebody yelling something mean to you, but it means it hurts worse when it's someone that you know, when it's someone in your family or someone that you care about. I think about someone, a relationship being ruptured in a marriage because of infidelity. That's not just over with a simple, I'm sorry. It's not over with just a simple transaction of, Oh, I'm sorry, whoops. And we've got to understand that when the Bible talks about us being sinners, we hurt God deeply. The wages of sin is not the fact that God has hurt feelings. The wages of sin is death. And we can only receive life if someone else has taken and absorbed all of that pain and shame upon themselves and then exchanged their life and healing for it. And that's what Christ did for us. He took our place on the cross. When we're talking about the subject of contentment, 
It is impossible to live a life of settled peace without Christ. Christ is the foundation. Why? Because people often turn to money and riches and possessions to satisfy something deep inside that only Christ can satisfy. When I am looking for the value of myself, I'm worth it. What am I worth? What am I worth? People want to look and, and there's even uh, you know, uh, uh, marketing advertisements out there that say, you're worth it. You're worth what? Buying your product? You're worth it. I'm worth it. I'm going to spend money on this. What am I worth? I'm worth more than a bottle of cologne. Come on. Right? Of course. Whenever I'm worried about what I'm worth, I look to the cross. God himself was willing to assume the body of a human being and die on the cross for my salvation. The Bible says in Romans 5, If you have a favorite Bible, especially if it's a paper Bible, because digital, it's a little bit different, but my favorite Bible is also in New York with my iPad. You know how that goes. So trying to find the same verse in a different Bible is like, you're just lost. <laughs> Romans 5 and verse number 8 says, For God, but God commendeth, that word commendeth means openly showed. It's like an open house. How do, we, how do we see the open house of God's love for us? The Bible says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for us to become better people in order for us to get saved or for us to be forgiven. That's like the hospital saying, oh my goodness, you're sick. You can't come in here. Sick people go to the hospital. That's why it's there. God doesn't look at sinners and say, oh, oh my God, you can't know. <laughs> Get away from me. No, he says, let me show you my love. I'm going to die for you. And then not just die, but rise again from the dead and give us that same victory over sin and over death and over the world. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, being much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Contentment means a resting or satisfaction of mind without disquiet. It's a resting or satisfaction of the mind. The Bible says in Mark 8 and verse number 36, for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. If we go back to our verse, we're going to look at uh, 
Hebrews 13 once again, and then we'll go over to Philippians and then we'll be done. So we're finishing up the first point, which is simply, we can only be content because of Christ. Christ satisfies us deep, deep, deep down in the deepest parts of us. Listen, you can't look to your spouse to satisfy you deep inside that only God can satisfy. We are spiritual beings. We're not just a body and a soul or a body and a mind or a body and a psyche, however you want to put it. We have a spirit. We are, we are the, the very essence of this world is a spiritual. This is a spiritual world. It operates on spiritual energy. It operates in the spiritual realm. And yes, we have bodies and yes, we can see physical things outside. But the deepest part of us that longs and is searching for meaning, for forgiveness, for, for, for our shame to be wiped away, for us to be deeply loved and to be felt that we will be deeply loved, for us to be avenged of some injustice that has occurred to us. All of these feelings are not things of the psyche. They're things of the spirit. And when we accept what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, he comes and he fills the deepest voids of our heart and of our spirit. And he calms the turbulent waters in our soul. And we no longer go out and say that car or that house or that number in my bank account will satisfy me. It's impossible for those things to satisfy us. We may enjoy them. There's nothing wrong with enjoying them, but we cannot look to possessions to satisfy spaces in our spirit that only God can satisfy. We are gratified and satisfied with God when we come to him first for salvation and secondly in worship. There is something that happens to the life, in the life of a born-again Christian when we come together and worship God together. That's why God says to observe the Sabbath. And in the New Testament age, we focus on Sunday. Christ rose on Sunday. And that's why it's so important for us to set aside a small space and come and gather together. It's not the same when we stay at home and watch online. It's not the same if we listen to the audio file. It's not the same. Why? Because that's not the way God designed it. God designed it for us to come and for us to gather and for us to experience him together. And he comes and he reminds us with his presence. He reminds us with his presence. Look at our verse once again. Hebrews 13 and verse number five. Let your lifestyle, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. One writer said it this way. The greatest gift that God ever gives his children is the gift of himself, his presence. These are not just clinical ideas that we roll around. We're not just clinical theologians that we just discuss all of these rules of theology and we say, I believe these things. It's It's not a legal document that we're looking at where... It's just words on a page and we, no, it's the, it's the presence of God himself. When we come together and we pray and we confess our sin 
and, 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 and we're willing to, 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 to give him the worship that he deserves as we sing together and as we feast upon the words of his word and as we sit and listen reverently to his word being preached, God himself comes and he comes with his words. His spirit is attached to his words and his, his spirit, his presence is attached to his promises. And when we come and we are honoring him, he comes. People experience that in different ways. Some people can get emotional. Some people, we just feel this deep sense of satisfaction that God sees me. I'm not alone. I'm not doing this by myself. The primary word that Jesus used when he revealed that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell inside of us He used it several times. He said, the comforter will come. Guys, look, there is no possession. Praise his holy name. There is no possession that can comfort like he can comfort. There is no car or house or bank account number or 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 pile of money or stock option or whatever high office that we're looking for. There is nothing that can satisfy and comfort and make us feel safe and loved and cared for like his presence can. And that only comes through Christ. I spoke to a wonderful young man this week, sincere in his beliefs, and he believed everything is God. Everything is Christ. Friends, if everything is God and everything is Christ, then nothing is Christ and nothing is God. You have to believe in the specifics of what scripture says. We cannot sit here and design our own religion. It's so easy nowadays to sit there and kind of assume the attributes of the Godhead and say, you know what's so funny? These little devices, we've got Google or Safari or whatever your little, whatever your choice is. It's got a lot of knowledge. You know, you know, it's not always right. Somebody enters that information in and sometimes the information is not correct. We just assume that the first top three or four choices in the Google search are the correct ones. It's not always true. But if we're not careful, we, we will begin to assume that we are all, we that we are all knowing. We're omniscient because we have Google. We're not omniscient. I'm not all knowing because I have a device. Somebody somewhere can just unplug the internet. You can't unplug God. Amen. You can't unplug him. He is. And he always will be. The promise of his presence. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Man, what a verse. Deuteronomy 31 and 6. What was the promise he was giving to the children of Israel 
and Moses here. Don't worry, is what he says. In our vernacular, the way we would say it today to a friend, don't worry, I'll be there with you. Don't worry, I'll be there with you. I'll not forsake you. That's why scripture says, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Verse six, so that we may boldly say, a contented Christian is a bold Christian. We may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what the recession shall do unto me. That's not what it says, but that's what it says. You guys looking at me? Are you listening? Don't let your mind take a vacation. We've got about 10 minutes left. Man, we live in a, a, day, a day and age where everybody's filled with fear. Fear. They're so afraid. The, the more information I... Start. I put uh, the app on there for Google. Uh, this isn't a commercial. This isn't a commercial. Uh, uh, for for Google, the headlines, just the headlines. I don't need all the. I don't need to dig down deep most of the time. I just want the headline. You get headlines from the entire. I mean, what what time period in the history of the human race can you sit there and immediately get an update of what is currently happening across the entire world? The hurricane's coming, and this is happening down here, and, and the big snowstorm in Buffalo, and, and this is going on locally, and this is what's happening at the house right down the street, because you can get like neighborhood news too. And perhaps from your home country, country of origin, you can get news from back there. And Qatar. And the World Cup is coming up, by the way. Praise God for the World Cup. Love it. You know what? With all of the guys, look, with all of the information that's available, every one of those is a potential access point for fear to come and fill your heart. And this is happening in Taiwan, and they're shooting missiles in North Korea, and, and the government of China is doing this, and, and COVID that, and, and look at what's happening with Russia, and Putin's not at the G19, they call it now, instead of the G20, and on and on and on, and what's going to happen, and who's, who's pushing the buttons, and secret societies are out there, and, and you've got all the, oh my goodness, come, ah, uh. you've got some people, now that you can work from home, they between Amazon and having your food delivered. Am I telling the truth? Contentment allows you to dispel fear and live bold. The righteous are bold as the lion, the Bible says in Proverbs. The righteous are bold as a lion doesn't mean foolish. It means your life is not typified by making decisions based off of what if, oh no, what if, oh no, what if, oh no. Some people that could be their Instagram handle. Name, you're supposed to give like a little, this is who I am. What if, oh no, all caps, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. 
Because that's how they live their life. You want to know everything about me? This is the way, this is my ethos of life. This is my mantra. Have you seen? Oh, no. Then you've got Christ over here. Died for us. Wants to fill us in the deepest recesses of our spirit and heart. And from that depth, flow out and grow out and make an actual, visible, discernible change in our lives. How do I know if I'm living a life of contentment? Not living a life of fear. Do you live a life of fear? I ain't scared of nothing. Uh, It's not necessarily what the Bible's saying. Be not afraid of sudden fear, the Bible says. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind. Someone who's living a life of fear, fear comes like a thief like a, like a 300-pound uh, wrestler, MMA fighter, and just absolutely puts you in the most wicked vice, and it just forces you to do things that a person without a sound mind, they wouldn't normally act that way. They wouldn't normally say those things. They wouldn't normally live that way. Fear, 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 fear. And all the top doctors saying this, and oh my goodness. Uh, and, uh, and all of a sudden now you're balled up in the fetal position mentally, living in the corner of your house. I'm scared. Oh, look at the packages. Oh, is there something to be afraid of on this package of food? What about my lotions? My lotion's gonna kill me. You think I'm being silly? I'm not being silly. And what does the world do, my friends? The tactic that you can see, politics. Every politic, every politician, every single one, no matter what country one want to pick, we all pick on one another. In every company, you identify the fear and then you offer a solution. That costs money, by the way. I saw this commercial that came up on YouTube. We are proudly free. I have no idea what the words mean. Nobody knows what the words mean. That company made those words up. But their product's free from some chemical word that's this long. I didn't know I was supposed to be scared of that. (laughs) I need to look that up. Am I supposed to be scared of that word that's this long I can't pronounce and can't repeat? Now there's something else I need to be afraid of. And yet the Bible offers a simple solution. Be content. Be content. Content with what? Well, with Christ. Listen, we will never be content with what we have unless we're content with who we have. We have to be content first with Christ. Do you have him? Is he just an idea? Is he just a religion out there somewhere? Or do you actually have him? Does he dwell in your heart by faith? Do you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Or is it just a tradition that you followed? Is it a religion that you've accepted? 
If it's, is it just your habit? And if you're here today and you've never trusted the person, Jesus Christ, as your savior, my friend, you are allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable to fear. Unfortunately, the season, right around Christmas and January, February, are the times with the highest statistics of suicide and attempted suicide. And that's for several reasons. The holidays, a lot of people struggle with that for a lot of reasons. It's cold. It's dark. People don't need enough vitamin D. Okay? And some people, they deal with it through some kind of self-medication, whatever that may be. And oftentimes it's multiple things. Multiple things. I've got I've to get happy. Look, the spirit is deeper than the chemicals going on in your body. And when we choose to believe and we accept what God is doing in our life, I am trusting the person, Jesus Christ, who loved me and died for me and rose again for me. That is deeper than whatever chemicals are coursing through my body. Oh, so bro, like, you know, if I become a Christian, will I like feel high all the time? Uh, no. And anybody that tries to sell that off to you is selling something. Because Christianity is not a high. It is a life of contentment. Last verse. Ah, last two verses. You guys know I had to have more than one. Hebrews 13, verse eight. Circle this, put a little tick mark by it, do a screenshot, something. Second, uh, sorry, I don't know why I said that. Hebrews 13, eight. Hebrews 13, eight. I'm back in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, eight. How can we be content because of Christ? Well, who is he? Because there's a lot of opinions out there. Who is he exactly? Right here. Look at this. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> so, hey, if he can make me content today and not live a life of fear today, can he do that tomorrow too? Oh, absolutely. Why? Because though I change and though everything around me changes, he does not change. That means I can be content. I can be content. Last verse, Philippians. So we're going to go Hebrews and then a little bit further towards the middle of your Bible. Not too far. Philippians with a P. Philippians. Four. Philippians four. We're going to read a few verses, and I could do a whole sermon on these verses. I'm not going to. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then just ask you a question, and then we'll close. Philippians 4, verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, 
and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Okay, just by way of explanation, the Apostle Paul is talking to the people of this church and they financially donated to him. And what he's saying is their financial donations, sometimes they were amazing and sometimes they were down. That's just reality. That's what he's saying. And that's why he's saying, your care of me has flourished again. Verse 11. Now, the Apostle Paul is not speaking to them out of frustration or anger. He's speaking to them from a position of being content. Let me ask you something. What would, how would the relationships in your life change if you spoke from a position of being content? Because oftentimes when we get angry with someone, it's because we think they should be giving us something. You should be meeting my emotional needs, even though they don't really know what they are because you never say it. How would it change your relationships if we were speaking to one another from a position of contentment? Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have, what's that next word? Learned. For I have learned. For I have learned. The Apostle Paul was a very spiritual man. And you know why he was spiritual? Because he was willing to learn. He was willing to learn. He was a student. And he's speaking to these lovely, wonderful people. And he's saying, guys, let me tell you something. I know that your care of me has gone up and it's gone down. But let me tell you, let, let, please let me let you know what I've learned. He says, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He's speaking from a position of contentment. He's not railing on them. He's not blasting them. He's not angry with them. He's not writing them this deep rebuke because they haven't been taking care of him. He's, hey, he doesn't have resentment. His feelings haven't been hurt. He's writing from a position of contentment. And now he describes that state of contentment. Verse 12, I know both. This is contentment. Contentment is a life of both. I'm learning how to be both. And he gives a couple of categories here. How to be abased. That means to be humbled. Humbled. I'm learning how to be humbled and to uh, how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, and we're done. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now listen, guys. The message from the world, the self-help side, is only the first half of that, verse 13. A power pose in the mirror. I can do all things. 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 
That's not what it says. Contentment is not repeating to yourself, I can do it. Contentment is, I can do all things through Christ. Is that you? Ah, pastor, maybe not as much as I would like. Are you willing to learn like the Apostle Paul? Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.